Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to Friday's edition of the programme and we have a lot to get through on the programme today and we also have giveaways on the programme including our final pair of Diana Ross tickets before they officially go on sale next Monday morning at Ticketmaster.ie As we know this week we heard the great news that Diana Ross is playing live at the Marquee on the 22nd of June and Aiken Promotions very kindly gave us the first three pairs of tickets uh, to give away before they officially go on sale next Monday morning at 9am. So we'll give that final pair away today. You will be listening out as you have been for the last two days for this queue. We all just love a bit of a chain reaction and actually somebody yesterday Lillian Darcy was our winner and she's just sent in a gorgeous text to, to say hi to John Paul Patricia and all at C103 thank you so much for the magnificent prize yesterday tickets for the amazing Diana Ross so grateful I can't wait thank you thank you thank you that's from Lillian Darcy I just love that I absolutely love when somebody wins a prize who is a genuine fan or somebody wins a prize that they really are going to do something with or it's you know say if somebody wins a holiday and they really need a break or we've got the wonderful Christmas covered where we'll be giving away 500 euro shopping vouchers next week I'm just hoping that people you know that really need the money and they can really make a difference for Christmas I always get so excited when we get winners like that because every now and again you'll get winners who'll ring up and they'll win a prize and then they'll say to John Paul what did I win and that just drives me nuts. It really drives me nuts, particularly when it's something like this, something like Diana Ross. It's a great big concert. And, you know, so and that's not to put people off. But please only enter if you really, really want to go. Or you know someone that's a diehard Diana Ross fans, uh, fan. Uh, so we'll be doing that later on on the programme today. And then every hour today, you have a chance to win a family pass, which is for a family of four people to go along and see Santa at Magical Blarney at Blarney Woolen Mills. It's described as Cork's favourite Santa experience. It runs from November 23rd, that's this Saturday, and it runs right up to Christmas Eve. You can visit magicalblarney.com to find out more. But your chance every hour on the programme today, you will get a cue to call from Santa 
telling you when to call. OK, and that's when you when you hear the cue to call, ring 1850-333-103 and caller number 10 each hour picks up one of those magical family pass to Magical Blarney. So we're going to have fun giving away those prizes today. And there's a gorgeous text in. Can I start with this to say, Patricia, bless me, Patricia, for I have sinned. Yesterday, I exchanged the radio and your programme for a walk with the dogs after all the rain of the previous day. May I say you are forgiven. No rain or earplugs, just the silence of the country hills. Suddenly, I heard the distant and unusual call of a bird. As quickly as the first one, another much nearer. I searched the sky above me and within a few seconds, 30 to 40 feet directly over me and calling at the same time a curlew with its majestic long curling beak and its stretched sleek body trailed by its equally elegant legs. What a sight. No need for a bucket list in this country. Just get out, look and listen. Isn't that lovely? Beautiful, beautiful uh, text. No name on it. Thank you for whoever uh, sent in that uh, text. Yeah, and for many people, they haven't seen a, a, a curlew bird in many, many years. And for the younger generation, they may never have seen uh, a curlew. And it is a majestic bird and it is quite a distinctive uh, sound. So you were indeed blessed and well done for getting out and getting some ex- exercise yesterday. Now, there were a lot of really good Christmas craft fairs going on over the weekend and I will do my very best to people who've taken the time to email or contact the programme asking me to give them a mention. I'll do my very best to mention uh, all of them throughout uh, the programme. But I want to start with a cancellation on a Christmas craft fair that I was planning on plugging today and it is with regret that, uh, for the cancellation of the Christmas craft and food fair at the Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll. Now they have a very genuine reason for it. A virus has been detected in one of the donkeys at Hannigan's farm and therefore on the advice of the veterinary team Hannigan's farm will remain closed to the public and therefore the Christmas fair cannot now go ahead. They want to assure the public though that all of the donkeys are being monitored and cared for at the sanctuary and they're obviously acknowledging that people are going to be disappointed that the fairs had to be cancelled but they feel sure that everyone will understand the welfare and the care of the donkeys comes first second and third at the sanctuary. So that's that will be disappointing news and uh, hopefully they'll clear up that virus in just the one donkey and that it won't spread uh, to others. But their Christmas craft and food fair, which was scheduled for next Sunday out of the sanctuary in Liscarroll, is now uh, off. And while I was reading we getting that email in from the Donkey Sanctuary and thinking, oh, that's really disappointing for them. There is a story making a lot of the papers today that tells us as many as half of the global population of donkeys could be wiped out in just five years. And this is due to a surge in demand for their hides. Why are people looking for donkey hides? It's seemingly it's used in traditional Chinese medicine. Populations are reportedly collapsing in countries across Africa, South America and Asia with animals including sick mares and foals being stolen, illegally transported and then killed. It's according to a report from the International Charity of the Donkey Sanctuary that Aroman and Liscarroll will be under their umbrella group. The organisation has warned the species is now in a state of global crisis as traders target their skins to export it's an ingredient called Ejaya Ejaio it's E-J-I-A-O I'd never heard of it before but what it basically is it's the donkey hide glue and it's a popular health product in China 
though one without any medical evidence can I say behind its use. Increasing demand for this hide glue has led to an unsustainable number of donkeys being slaughtered and the emergence of criminal gangs kidnapping the animals for their hides which are then sold in their millions every year. Isn't that so, so sad? All the more reason why we need to be supporting the great work of the donkey sanctuary here in Liscarroll in order that those donkeys get well looked after. And I was only talking about the donkey sanctuary during the week as I was saying I got one of their wonderful calendars. It's a beautiful, beautiful calendar and I'd used one of their calendars last year at home as well so I was thrilled uh, to get another one this year but it really is gorgeous and the pictures are lovely on it and I was asking people to remember charity calendars this year when you're out and about getting your calendar for 2020 and actually Michael and my apologies that I didn't get to it when I mentioned it earlier in the week there's a gorgeous calendar on sale in West Cork and it is the Bearer calendar for 2020 and it's in memory of John Eagle and it is on sale it's available in Super Value in Castletown Bear and other outlets and proceeds from the calendar are going to the community hospitals in Castletown Bear and Cancer Connect and we mentioned Cancer Connect yesterday from a North Cork point of view of course Cancer Connect working really really well uh, in West Cork as well so if you're out in Castletown Bear keep a lookout for the Bear calendar and it has the most stunning photographs of scenery of the area. It's beautiful. It would be gorgeous to send around the world to loved ones as well. It is a beautiful calendar. So good luck uh, with that uh, calendar. Now, coming up on the programme, um, after 11 today, I'm going to be speaking with Minister David Stanton. Now, we had invited David Stanton, who is the Minister for Immigration and Integration, and we had invited him onto the programme because there's been so much of late about asylum seekers and refugees and we know there's been an ongoing dispute in a lot of areas when they proposed direct provision centres or temporary direct provision centres they hoped to or the department opened to open them they weren't able to open them because local people objected to them then there was talks earlier in the week that the government were going to look at state-owned lands and build their own direct provision centres we've also seen an increase in the number of asylum seekers coming into this country so we decided that we'd ask David Stanton on just to have a general chat about all of those issues and uh, anything to do with refugees and asylum seekers and also to talk about a programme, a pilot programme in which some, I don't know, was one area but certainly areas of Cork took part and it was a pilot programme to integrate refugees into communities and it's to get communities to welcome uh, refugees. So we've asked uh, Minister David Stanton to join us on the programme to talk about that and then we weren't to know what was going to unfold from a news point of view and this is making the lead in nearly all of the papers and most of the news bulletins today and it's the news of the 16 men found in a container on board a Sherberg to Rosslair ferry yesterday morning. They're now understood to all be from the Kurdish region. They're between 20 and 40 years of age. They've been transferred to an immigration reception centre in Dublin where they were given food and uh, accommodation. Uh, we're told most, if not all of them, are expected to claim asylum in Ireland and then they'll be processed under the immigration legislation by Gardaí and members of the National Immigration Bureau. So they're going to need to be homed in an asylum centre um, somewhere in the country at the moment, though, as I say, they are in Dublin. But it's believed that they had travelled for 20 days before they got to Sherberg, where then they entered the trailer bound for Rosslare. There's other media reports that it was the United Kingdom was where they were trying to get to, not Ireland. And, you know, lost in translation, I suppose, they got on the back of a container 
and ended up instead of going to the United Kingdom have ended up coming to Ireland. So I'll ask Minister David Stanton about that later on on the programme. Also going to look at a report that's come out this week showing a massive increase in the number of people coming forward for treatment with alcohol problems. Do we need to start waking up to the notion that we have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And I was reading through the report and, you know, again, it goes back to what they call, you know, the units of alcohol. How many units of alcohol should we be having every week? And I think we're all drinking more because we're house drinking the way we never drank before. There was a time when you'd only have alcohol in the house for special occasions. And in most households, there was only one special occasion, which was Christmas. And alcohol would come into the house at Christmas and that would be it. And when it was gone, it was gone. Now, if you're in any supermarket, you will see most trolleys and baskets will have some alcohol in it on the weekly shop whether it's a couple of bottles of wine or maybe a few bottles of beer or a few cans of beer and are we now getting very relaxed about this idea of drinking at home and is that leading to us drinking too much so we're going to look at this report on the programme today an East Cork listener has contacted us because of the condition of the road where she lives and she's trying to highlight it in the hope that a little bit of publicity might get something done for her so we'll talk with her on the programme today. We're going to get an update on St George's Arts and Heritage Centre in Mitchellstown. This is such an exciting project but it's an ambitious project. It's a massive project. It's going to take a million euro at least to get this project up and running but they are an enthusiastic bunch I'll tell you that in Mitchellstown and they are, are already underway. Work has already gone underway. They were already are making money. They've got a Christmas craft fair actually happening this weekend as well so we just want to touch in with them see what's happening because I did see a post up on Facebook during the week when we had the heavy rain was it Tuesday night we had the really really heavy rain and unfortunately the St. St. George's Arts and Heritage Centre is an old church for those people who don't know it, who don't know Mitchestown well, it's an old church that they're trying to convert into this Arts and Heritage Centre. And an old church means an old roof and an old roof means a leaky roof and the rain, it did come in on uh, Tuesday into Wednesday morning. So we'll talk uh, about that. Also going to hear about a walkway that's been officially opened this afternoon in Clonakilty. And I was absolutely thrilled to see that it is going to be named after the late Joe Walsh who was TD for West Cork for many, many years and was also, of course, Minister for Agriculture. And for me, from my radio career point of view, he was the first Minister for Agriculture I ever interviewed because he, I was not long in the job when he got appointed as Minister for Agriculture back in 1992. And he gave me one of the first, if not the first interview as Minister I being the local radio kind of thing and he didn't have to do that and he did it and, and I, I always remember him for, him for that and he was always very generous with his time even when he was minister and I accept that when local TDs become ministers you know their whole world takes off in a very different route and they're extremely busy and they're ruled by civil servants what they can and can't do and what they can and can't say and what the availability that they have so he was always always very generous and I think Joe Walsh certainly for me as a Minister for Agriculture will always be remembered for his handling of the foot and mouth and at the time 
there was some criticism when this country, we went into lockdown for foot and mouth. But by God, did it pay off. It absolutely paid off. When you look at how foot and mouth was handed across the water in the United Kingdom and what happened over there and how it spread, it didn't spread in this country because Joe Walsh was at the helm as Minister for Agriculture and we locked this country down. And I think he will always be remembered for that. So I think it's lovely that he's been remembered and honoured in his own hometown, which is, I think it's always important that that's where you get remembered in your hometown, a town he was very proud of in Clonakilty. So we'll chat about that later. And then it's Friday, so Mark Malone will join us, join us and we'll take a look at some of the movies that are out and about at the moment. That and more, your thoughts and comments welcomed throughout the morning. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Hi Patricia, when you hear the Dino Ross Q today, do I text or ring the station, says Ger. Today we're doing it by phone call, so you ring us. When we play the queue to call, you ring. Get dialing 1850-333-103, which is the same for same number for the queue to call for the Santa at Magical Blarney and the free Santa Friday that we're rolling through today. Some of you calls in on the curlew when I got that lovely text in from the listener who went out for the gorgeous walk yesterday and managed to spot in here uh, a curlew. Uh, hi Trish, says Mike in Bantry. There are at least nine curlews flying over my house all of the time during the winter months. You are extremely lucky, uh, Mike. Well done, because loads of people say that they don't see enough of them. And Martin in from Moise says, Patricia, I was listening to you talking about the curlew. I used to live on Spike Island in my younger days. And when you heard the call of the curlew, it was so haunting and so beautiful to hear. I remember just standing in the one spot for ages just listening and it felt so wonderful says Martin in Formoy and you were in a lovely setting as well I imagine looking out at the sea that's a, a good description and a good memory for you Martin thank you for that I was talking about the poor old donkey sanctuary having to cancel their Christmas craft and food fair and then about the ones worldwide that have been slaughtered for their hide because of their use in Chinese medicines just dreadful to think of this because they're such innocent aren't they and defenceless uh, animals Uh, Hi Patricia, the fact that you're talking about donkeys, there happens to be a fundraising coffee morning today, it's on from now until two, at the Bank House in Ballydehab and it supports donkey relief in Zimbabwe of all places. There you go. Throughout about Bally de Hob, you can support the poor old donkeys in Zimbabwe this morning by attending that coffee morning. That's uh, Mara texting us from Bally de Hob. Uh, thank you for that. And Mary says, Hi, good morning to you, Patricia. I was in CUH last week and I went into the cafe. You know the one near the A and D? I had a lovely cup of coffee, uh, a cup of tea and a bun. Uh, but later I sent my friend up just for a cup of boiling water and she was charged 30 cent for it. I thought that was a rip-off. I made sure that I drank it all, says uh, Mary. Now, do others feel that that's a rip-off? And does that happen in a lot of places? Businesses will say to you, Mary, we had to use the electricity to boil the water. We had to put it in a cup for you. That cup is going to have to be washed. It had to be served by, you know, somebody waiting on you. So they had to, wages have to be paid and we have to make our money and we can't be giving boiling water out free to everyone. And I absolutely accept if a group of us went in and you weren't buying anything and everybody was ordering boiling water, I absolutely accept that you couldn't charge for that. But Mary, I suppose, point is she bought a cup of tea and she had her bun. She felt she was entitled, I suppose, to her cup of boiling water. Now, I don't know in many places, do they charge extra for a cup of boiling water? And I wonder if at the time that you had, you were ordering the tea and the bun 
if you asked for an additional cup of boiling water, would they have charged you for it? I mean, I've been in places where, you know, you might get a little pot of tea and you might want it topped up with boiling water. And I don't think I've ever been charged. But, you know, maybe some places do. I don't know. I don't know how common a practice it is. But Mary felt it was a complete and utter rip off. Your thoughts welcomed on that, please. 1850-333-103. And Annette in Summerhill in the city was on to us just by way of a word of warning to people to be careful. She bought an item that was supposed to be reduced yesterday. There was a sale on. Now, we're not naming the store, but it was a major electrical store in the city. When she left the store and she got home, she realised that she had not paid the full she realised that she hadn't paid the reduced price. She checked the receipt and realised, oh, you know, say something was reduced down to 199 And when she got home, she realised she'd paid 250 That's probably a strange example because if it was that much of a difference, you would notice it might have been a smaller item. But anyway, she paid the higher amount. She didn't pay the reduced amount. So she contacted the store, showed the receipt and they gave her her money back. Said, yeah, absolutely, hands up, we made a, made a mistake. She asked the person in the store, you know, why and how does that happen? And they... She said the person in the store said that the price can be reduced out on the shelves, but the system at the checkout isn't updated quick enough. So Annette contacted us because she says if you're in a rush and you leave a store, you mightn't. And if you buy a few items, I mean, if you bought one item, you'd instantly know. And if it was a big item of a reduction from 250 down to 200 and suddenly you could charge 250, you'd question it straight away. But if you had a number of items and if they were smaller items, you may not notice it. So it's... Check your receipt and check your receipt at the till, I suppose, before you leave uh, leave the store. And uh, Annette feels that is particularly important in larger stores. But that's the explanation. It wasn't that the store was trying to rip off Annette. It was just that they'd reduced the items on the shelf, but the checkout system hadn't been updated. A word of warning for you. 1850 333 103 lines open. <laughs> Deal when salt does an atmosphere, no blossom, agus blafele on irgniv show, a hen shirgadin vlien, milishak yad sahochta hocht. Behan margashan I'm sure show, a hot a grill or nakaruch, marhut dot hiat trosele, erumale. Nukta, quid denaneha, is fari gorkig, C103. C103, the River Lee and the Echo bring you the Cork City Sports Athletics Award. Athletics Award. Every month, a panel of sporting experts will give recognition to an outstanding Cork athlete. Cork athlete. This month's award goes to Michelle Finn from Leeville AC. Michelle is recognised for setting a new Irish 2000 metre steeplechase record at the Berlin ISTAF meeting. The Cork City Sports Athletics Award with the River Lee and the Echo and C103. This week, the Health Research Board has published its latest report on alcohol treatment, which shows a massive increase in people who have already developed a severe drinking problem by the time they seek help. To discuss some of the findings of the report, I'm joined by Anne-Marie Carew, who's Research Officer at the HRB. Good morning to you, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. Does it make it harder to treat people, Anne-Marie, if they have a severe drinking problem by the time they come forward for help? Uh, yes, for sure, it does. Um, the more severe a problem, the problem that person presents with, the more likely it is that their treatment is going to be more complex and their recovery more difficult. 
Now, our report um, from the Health Research Board, we looked at our alcohol treatment figures over a seven-year period, from 2012 right through up until last year. And we found that, you know, over the course of that seven years, there were 55,000 cases, or almost 55,000 cases, treated for problem alcohol use in Ireland. And last year alone, 7,500 cases were treated, which is a small increase compared to previous years. And we found that 7 in 10 cases that were treated were already dependent on alcohol by the time they sought treatment. Do we have enough treatment centres? Um, we found um, that, as I said earlier, we have 7,500 cases treated. They came right um, from around the country, from um, every um, county in Ireland. Um, in terms of treatment services, I mean, certainly there are services available um, right throughout the country. If somebody needs help, they, yeah, there, there is treatment available. How do you define a severe drinking problem? Um, in, alcohol dependency is defined based on a specific set of um, diagnostic criteria. I mean, the signs that somebody is dependent on alcohol um, would um, look like, you know, they might feel like they're drinking maybe out of control. They may not be able to stop drinking, even though it's causing problems in their lives. Um, they might have se- uh, severe physical um, symptoms like craving alcohol or they may um, find that their tolerance has increased. So this might mean that they're drinking more to get the same effects or they experience withdrawal symptoms. Now, what we found in our figures um, was that um, uh, one of the really interesting findings was about the amount of alcohol that people were consuming. We found that both men and women were drinking more in one day than is recommended by HSC low-risk alcohol guidelines over the course of an entire week. And so you're, so you're, the, the, yeah, the amount of alcohol that it's safe to drink for a week has been drunk in one day? That's correct. Um, well, it's a lot of alcohol. It is. I mean, what we found in our report is that um, half of women were drinking 15 or more standard drinks on a typical day that they consumed alcohol. Now, 15 standard drinks would um, translate to nearly two bottles of wine. Uh, the HSE guidelines for low-risk drinking are, in fact, 11 standard drinks for women over the course of an entire week. Now, 11 standard drinks, that translates to around a bottle and a half of wine or five and a half pints or 11 pub measures of spirits. And then when we looked at men, we found um, that half of men were were actually consuming 20 or more standard drinks in a typical day that they were drinking. Whereas again, when you look at the HSE guidelines, guidelines for men is up to 17 standard drinks over the course of an entire week. Um, but a, sta- a standard drink that's that that's not a pint. Sure, it's not. It's a no, half pint. It's not. It's a half pint. So a, t- a standard drink equates to half a pint of beer, a hundred ml glass of wine. This is a small glass of wine, mm. or a pub measure of spirits. Yeah. Okay. And the the wine is is the interesting one because when people hear oh a glass of wine it's fine, it's the size of your glass. I mean, some people can have a glass that would nearly have three times what is a standard glass. That's right. I mean, a standard bottle of wine um, would have approximately seven and a half standard drinks in it. Okay. 
Um, what about people? Did many people turn up have dual addiction problems with drugs as well? Marie, is that a problem? Yes, we, I mean, we found that when you look at the substances that are used alongside alcohol, we found the problem use of other drugs uh, was a factor for just over one in five cases. This is something that's actually remained relatively stable throughout the last seven years. Um, cannabis was the most problem most common problem used alongside alcohol and in fact the numbers have decreased slightly for alcohol. However, what was interesting uh, were the figures for cocaine. Cocaine is the second most common drug used alongside alcohol and we found that um, between 2017 and 2018 there was a 27% increase in the number of cases who presented with alcohol and cocaine. Um, In 2018, last year alone, cocaine alongside alcohol, it was more common among men than among women. So we found it among one in two men and two in five women. This isn't something that we um, found overly surprising as we had another recent report which just looked at problem drug use. And that report showed that there was a 50% increase in the number of cases presenting with cocaine as a main problem between 2017 and 18. We seem to be having a cocaine crisis in this country. There isn't, I think, a town or a city or a village that isn't touched by people using cocaine. Uh, cocaine, and certainly in terms of what we can see in our treatment figures, um, the numbers that are presenting with cocaine as a problem has is increasing. Increasing, yeah, yeah. And then when when you're looking at, when you were mentioning the numbers who are coming forward for for treatment, Emily, talk to me about the age group and is it more men than women, more women than men? So in terms of the typical profile of uh, someone that's seeking treatment for problem alcohol use, we found that uh, nearly half are aged 41 years or older, uh, two-thirds are men, half are unemployed. Um, we also found that one in five have problems with drugs other than alcohol, as I mentioned earlier, cannabis and, and then followed by cocaine. And we also found that 7 in 10 are already dependent on alcohol by the time they um, reach treatment. Now, this is a a problem because treatment uh, may be more complex for these individuals and also their recovery may be more difficult. And then I suppose, let's end on a high, is treatment successful for the people who come forward? We didn't analyse treatment outcomes in this particular report. However, we do collect data on immediate treatment outcomes. So at the point in time where somebody completes their their treatment intervention, but um, it doesn't form part of this particular report. Okay. All right. We'll talk again, uh, uh, perhaps on that one in the future, Anne-Marie. But in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us in the programme. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Anne-Marie Carew, who's Research Officer at the HRB. Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home. With up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. We've given away our first 
family pass to Magical Blarney and I'm told it was won by a very delighted Erica Hannon in from Moy. Congratulations to you Erica who heard our cute call from Santa and has won that family pass to go see Santa at Magical Blarney. It's running from this Saturday November 23rd right up to Christmas Eve and you can visit MagicalBlarney.com to find out more. Now Peggy, one of our listeners, has contacted us from East Cork to highlight what she describes as a dangerous road that is badly in need of resurfacing and Peggy joins me. Good morning to you Peggy. Good morning Patricia. Now it's the road on which you live that we're talking that about. Correct, yeah. Just share with our listeners where where it is and describe how bad the road is. It's about five miles on the tallow side of Yole okay. and it's really bad it's, it's, very, it's even dangerous for people driving along. Our agricultural contractor, our delivery people our cattle haulers, they all complain. They say it is ridiculous. And what, potholes? Potholes and the road has worn away and the sides. And if you go into the side, you're in danger of bursting a tyre or something. Yeah, and I know, I think it was your daughter sent me on uh, photographs. Right. And you can really see you can, in, yeah. in yeah. the photographs. I mean, this road is, is disappearing before it your is, eyes it is, on it a is. daily basis. Yeah, and I have spoken to lo- two, two local councillors and they don't get back to you and they don't answer your texts and your phone calls. And when I looked at the photographs, Peggy, the first thing that struck me was, I mean, this deterioration didn't happen overnight. Oh, no. How I long has it been in that condition? Oh, it's been that way for a few years. I've spoken to several people about it. And when they come around canvassing and they say, oh, yeah, we look after you, but that's it. They never do. Do many people live down that road? There's four families on the road. Two families have got very young children. They cannot take out their prams anymore because the road is too dangerous. And on the other hand, they cannot walk on the Altel Road because it's a very busy road. So if they want to take their little children out in the prams, they have to drive into Yol to go for a walk. Isn't that crazy? And it's a lovely, quiet road. There's only four families on it, two immediately on it, and there's one little off it. It's a lovely, quiet road to take children for a walk. Your, your own your own daughter contacted us and, and said she won't drive her car down no, there anymore. Our family can't drive. They come to the top of the road, they leave their cars and they walk down. And so do our friends. Because it's, it's too hard on the cars and it's too bad. Tractors, Patricia and Jeeps. And as you know, you must have your car tip top for the NCT. Yeah. It's costing us a fortune. Are you doing damage to your vehicle? Oh yeah, I can feel a rattle in my car. And I said to Tony, there's a rattle in my car. That's frustrating, and you'll go in. You'll go into an NCT and fail the NCT, and it's not really your fault. This is it. You're doing your best. It, it, at this stage, Patricia, it's the health and safety issue. And is is it a big stretch of road? You know, it's tra- about a quarter of a mile of it. That's really oh, really bad. Okay. Yeah. All right, yeah, I'm just trying to work out will the yeah. council come back and say, Ash, there's only four houses. Is that the reason that they're kind of? It almost seems like they're ignoring you. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally ignoring you. Yeah. Yeah, you pay tax and and uh, everybody else that has to use that road is That's paying tax. Right. It's 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 not fair. It's, it's just not, not fair. fair. No, it's not fair. And you you say you've mentioned it to local councillors. I have. I've mentioned it to two local councillors. And nothing. Nothing came. Nobody even. They don't even answer you. Okay, we've uh, sent on an email uh, with Peggy's permission uh, to see if we can get any. I mean, even if you got a date to say, look. The summer of 2020 will guarantee you will be there to do it. Yeah. It's just to know that somebody is aware that this road is crumbling before your very eyes. That's right. A few, uh, it's, it's nearly two years ago I went to Yall to the office and they sent out two guys 
and they fixed the two potholes in front of our driveway. And further up the road, there were about four more potholes. And they went away and left all those. That doesn't make sense. And this is more than just filling in potholes at this oh, stage. Is, yes. This needs a this yeah. needs a major job you uh, done. The roads just disintegrate yeah. away. It's not fair. It's no, not fair. Okay, not fair. we will keep in contact with you, Peggy. And as Thanks I say, we've we've sent it off to the council, and hopefully, we'll get some good news back for you. Mind you, and look after yourself on that road. Yeah, you're okay. very good, Patricia. Thanks ever Thank so you. much, and you've a great program. Thanks, Emil. Thanks, Emil. Thank God bless. Bye bye, Peggy. There joining us five miles the tallow side of you all, and I don't know if we're putting up the photographs on our Facebook page we are we're going to put up on our Facebook page because they really really it, it's shocking it's just and I know you know people say actually there's only four houses down that road but they're you know they're four families and as Peggy said families with young children who have chosen to live in this area of this beautiful county and they pay tax the very same as everybody else they pay road tax they have to have their car NCT'd they have to make sure that it passes the NCT they shouldn't be disadvantaged because the road in front of them is crumbling before their very eyes it's just not good enough and it's just it's simply not fair You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Molly in Kilfinnan is reacting to the text that I had in earlier. Uh, the lovely text that I had in that I started the programme was from the listener who uh, said yesterday, just decided it was a dry day after all the rain to get out and about and get out into nature and just sent in a beautiful text describing what it was like to be out in nature and to hear the curlew and to see the curlew and just magical. It was just a really, really magical text. Well, Molly and Kilfinnan says that texture is absolutely right. I walk my dogs, uh, my dog every afternoon before collecting the children from school as I work three days a week, but it's half days and to get out into the countryside and get that fresh air from the Ballyhowers and then to hear so many different birds. It's fantastic, says Molly, even though Molly says, I don't know if I've ever heard a curlew. Yeah, I think those that are texting him to say that they've heard curlews are those who remember them from many years ago were the lucky ones because they are hugely, hugely in decline, unfortunately. And that's because of what we're doing to the environment. Now, a number of people are reacting to poor old Peggy, who joined us talking about the condition of the road where she's living in East Cork and it is disintegrating in front of her eyes and trying to get something done about it. Michael says the council appear to be spending a lot of money installing traffic calming measures and extending curbing. They seem to be spending a lot of money on small stretches of roads. Have other people noticed this, particularly when it comes to all the traffic calming measures? And they're doing that while they're leaving really roads letting roads then get into really atrocious conditions like what Peggy was talking about. Michael in Mallow feels that the money that's been spent by the council on road repairs are on on things like traffic calming and extending curbs. It's been, they're simply spending it the wrong way. I think Peggy would agree with you even though the council probably will say no and the areas where the traffic calming measures are going in I mean often you'll get people living in housing estates calling on the council to put in traffic calming measures to slow the cars down in areas where children, particularly where children are out at play. Anyway, some of your texts and thank you for that, Michael. Some of your texts, Hanny says on bad roads. That lady you had on, Peggy, should name and shame the local councillors so that woman voted for. We are paying them to work for us. They should see all this, they should see all this trouble coming, i.e. they should see the condition of the road and get it sorted out and fixed 
long before the road gets into the atrocious condition it's in at the moment. We are the ones that are wrong. The time has come for us to make them work for us. Let's all get together. And when we ask a TD or a council to do something for us, if they don't, then we'll, through our local radio, we'll name and shame them. We'll hold them, we hold them on a high pedestal and we're like slaves kneeling down to them. We need to wake up says Hanny. Not impressed today with the work of local councillors. Another texter says, I know from personal experience as I live on a road about a mile long and it looks something similar to a road that was carpet bombed when the Americans went into Iraq. So picture that, potholes all over the place. When I approached local politicians, I was told, go and jump. And I was told that there was a community scheme whereby I could pay into it and by paying into it, they get the road sorted out. But at the time, they were looking for £40,000. I've no idea of what it would cost now. And I don't know what condition the road is in at the moment. If it is, if it was going to cost £40,000 a number of years ago and they've done nothing, then it must be extremely bad now. How are you even managing to drive on that road? And John says, Patricia, how can a farm owned by Chagas let the water and mud flow from their passageway out onto the road without any drains or shores to take the water across to the river. It was the worst ever on Wednesday evening as the road was actually closed for a while. Any other farmers would not be allowed to do this. By the way, says John, I'm not a farmer, but it's a road that I need to travel on three or four times a daily. And I wonder, has anybody got on to Chagas to alert them, even though I'm assuming if it's right outside their passageway, they must be aware of it. But to let people, to let them know the inconvenience that it's causing to people living in the area, because as you say, farmers wouldn't be allowed to do it and Chagas surely must come under the same rule as uh, farmers. On the charging 30 cent, remember Mary was on to us, she was at C- CUH in the canteen in CUH next to the A&E department. She had her tea and her bun and that was grand. She had no problem with that. But when she sent her friend up to get her a top up, she wanted some boiling water. She was charged 30 cent uh, for it. Ellen said that happened to me too. Boiling water, the 30 cent. uh, When I asked about the charge for the 30 cent, I was told by the assistant it's for the disposable cups. If you had your own cup, would you get it for free? I doubt it. Thanks for that, uh, Ellen. Now on Asylum Seekers, then we are going to be speaking with Minister David Stanton in this hour and of course asylum seekers very much top of the news agenda today with these 16 men who were found in the container on board to Sherberg um, they got on in Sherbrooke heading to Rosslare. They're understood to be Kurdish origin. They're all aged between 20 and 40 and they were transferred to the Immigration Reception Centre in Dublin where they've been given accommodation and food and they were medically checked out and I suppose the one thing that we can be thankful for is they're all okay. Um, they all survived the journey and um, it took seemingly 20 days for them to get to Sherbrooke but it's raised the whole issue of asylum seekers coming in to this country And that's then leading to people talking about the cost of asylum seekers and refugees. John says, Patricia, would anyone agree? All these asylum seekers and direct provision citizens cost the taxpayers huge sums of money. It must be costing hundreds of thousands to put roofs over their heads. Is this government and the people who support them totally out of touch? We have a housing crisis in this country and the door seems to be open for more to come in. Let's get them in any way you can. In the back of lorries, they're being transported like animals. Good old Ireland, sure we'll feed them. In all due respect to all of them, it's a total joke. We have our own 
sleeping rough on the streets. Charity must begin at home. We seem to be giving two fingers to our own, in my eyes, says uh, Jam. Yeah, it is hard to sort of balance it all at the moment. We do have a housing crisis. You are right. We do have people living in temporary accommodation. We do have families, 10,000 people, including something like 3,500 children, will spend Christmas in a hotel room this this year because of the housing crisis. And you are right. Huge sums of money are spent on asylum seekers in direct provision. And actually, when I was doing some research in advance of David Stanton joining me on the programme today, there's a figure that I know a lot of people are going to be quite taken aback with. Since direct provision was put in, I think it's about 20 years ago now, 1.3 billion euro has been spent by the government. That's just on direct provision. The bulk of that going to private operators, people who are providing the accommodation for direct provision. It's a huge, huge sum of money. And I think everybody accepts that direct provision is not working, but it's the fact that so much of it is going to private operators. Now, there has been and is, it's one of the reasons we've invited David Stanton on, there has been so much talk about the government building their own direct provision centres. And today it's reported in the paper that the government is planning to house about 5,500 asylum seekers in these new direct provision centres across the state. But they'll come at the cost. It's going to be about 320 million is going to be spent over the coming years. Uh, eight region centres are going to operate in eight regions covering the 26 uh, counties. So there's going to be a cost to build these direct provision centres but I think they don't have much choice at this stage because nobody wants direct provision centres in their area on sites that are already available we saw we've already seen what's happened in in a couple of them Ookterod was the latest one anywhere where there's an old hotel that can be used local people just don't want direct provision centre in their area so it looks like the government is looking at using state owned lands and build the centres instead so there'll be an upfront cost to build them of 320 million Will it save money in the end because they won't be paying rent to private operators? I suppose, yeah, long term. But um, the bigger problem is it's how long people are staying in the system when they come into direct provision. That's the one that really needs to be uh, looked at. And John Paul says, big number of calls this morning. As soon as I mentioned these 16 men found in this container heading into Rosslare, huge large number of calls and people going on about the money the amount of money that's been spent in this country on uh, asylum seekers uh, particularly when similar to that text when we can't look after our own we have a housing crisis we need to build homes for Irish people and get people out of homelessness not to be talking about building centres for asylum seekers. Uh, 1850 as I say we will deal with that in more detail because we will be speaking with the Minister with responsibility uh, David Stanton in a couple of minutes. C103 Jobs With Hewitt College now enrolling for Christmas Junior and Leaving Certificate Revision courses Your success is built on their experience See hewittcollege.ie Multi-drop van driver wanted that's for immediate start and you'll be required to work up until December the 24th. The person wanted for drafting and CAD drawing. It's for an engineering company in the North Cork area. Part-time household staff are wanted for Maria Goretti Nursing Home. That's in Kilmallock. And a secretary is wanted for a busy quarry in care 
in County Tipperary. You'll find all the jobs and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. Why is it so important for farmers to have their silage tested if they want to ensure adequate feeding for their animals during the winter period? If we don't know exactly how good the quality of silage is without testing, it's like trying to score with no goalposts. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Agribusiness for quality feed, expert service and support you can trust only on C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, of late, there has been some negative stories concerning communities who are against the opening of direct provision centres in their areas. Well, it's not all bad news because the Minister with Responsibility for Integration, uh, Immigration and Integration, David Stanton, has launched here in Cork a refugee community sponsorship programme. And Minister Stanton joins me on the programme with more details. Good morning to you, David. Morning, Patricia. And we had agreed to do this uh, interview earlier in the week, not knowing, not realising what was going to unfold. Yesterday, the news of the 16 men found in the container uh, on board a Sherberg to Rosslare ferry. Now, I suppose, let's look at the good news in that, in that they're all, thankfully, in good health. And I know they've been transferred uh, to Dublin. But David, wh- what can we do about the number of asylum seekers coming into this country? 3,762 3, applications in the first nine months of this year, highest level since 2008. Yeah, it's a reflection of what's happening globally. Uh, in Germany, they have around 3,000 per week, something similar in France and across Europe. So there are people living in desperate situations. Um, so far this year, I think around uh, over 1,000, maybe 1,100 people have drowned in the Mediterranean Sea. That's almost three jumbo jets gone down. Uh, and untold numbers other years as well. So it's it's a reflection of what's happening globally. The number actually of resilient seekers coming here is relatively small compared to what's happening in other in other neighbouring countries in Europe. Um, that's probably part because we're an island and part because we're on the very edge. But we have had a number of uh, a spike, I suppose, in numbers this year, up sixty percent on this corresponding period last year. There there have been a number of reasons for that, um, and we're dealing with them. Um, our challenge, of course, is when someone comes here looking for international protection, we're obliged under international law and, and covenants that we've signed up to for many, many decades now to process the application. And while we're doing that, we, we have to ensure that the people have accommodation. Uh, quite a number of people actually source their own accommodation with friends and relatives that are here already, um, and that's fine. Uh, but if they can't, we offer them accommodation. There's no obligation on anybody to take up accommodation, but obviously people don't have a choice, and they do. And our challenge, of course, has been to ensure that the time spent in the accommodation is as short as possible, which means we've got to make the decisions on their application as quickly as possible, and that's we've changed the law to make that happen. We put more finance into and more staff into actually processing those applications. But well, we still other- have almost a thousand asylum seekers who have spent more than four years in the system. Yeah, and that's part of the legacy which we're dealing with. And there are also other issues going on here. Part of it would be uh, when people have a negative decision and we're, we're, we're aiming at the moment, the, neg- the first decision is, is given to people on average about 15 months. Now, we're, trying, we're aiming to win that down to nine months and even shorter. Uh, but when people are, are given a negative decision, they have a right to appeal to an international uh, tribunal here. And if, if 
if that's not if they're unhappy with that, they can then go on and they can um, appeal to the courts as well on a point of law. And that can take time, and some of that is outside our, our control, obviously. But the average time now has come down quite a bit from what it was. Uh, the other thing we've been doing is we've been improving the standards as well and upping the standards in the accommodation so that we don't have stories of overcrowded conditions. And we're aiming to have places now where they have own door accommodation and where they can, you know, have self-catering accommodation as well, which is quite important. So that, they're the new standards we've launched, and that's our aim, and that's what we're working towards. But it is a huge challenge, Patricia, when numbers arrive unannounced and you have to accommodate people. Unfortunately, we've had to put people up in emergency accommodation, which is hotels and bed and breakfast accommodation, and that's something we don't want to be doing. I don't want to see happening, but the alternative is what? On the streets, and that's that's not on either. So it's hugely challenging, and you have people here, men, women, and children coming in looking for our protection. We're obliged under international law and our own laws to, to, to process the applications and in the meantime provide accommodation, and it is very challenging. Do haulage firms have a role here to play in that they need to up their security, step up their checks and security, and make sure that their trucks are locked. I know that haulage, uh, the drivers and, and haulage companies are doing the very best they can and it's a huge concern for them. They don't want to be in a situation like occurred in Essex where they discovered 39 people uh, had died in, in the back of a, of, a, of, a, of a lorry. I mean, that's, 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 that's uh, awful. And thankfully, as you said, that didn't happen here in Rosslare this week and the people that were discovered were alive, thankfully. It could have been so, so different. So, But I know that the haulage companies are doing the very best they can. But you're talking about people, Patricia, who are really desperate, who are fleeing awful conditions and terrible situations and and will do anything to try and escape and get to a better life. I mean, by all accounts, these men, 20 days it took them to get to Sherber. Yeah, and and quite often they would have walked. Uh, I, I prob- Probably, I don't know, but other, other narratives I've heard are people have walked for sometimes even months across deserts and across terrible terrain to get to safety. And you know what, our own history is full of that as well, where Irish people left and, you know, in, in the famine times and, and, and even since then and went all over the world. Uh, even today, I think we have about 800,000 Irish people living abroad who were born here. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's a global phenomenon. People are traveling sometimes because people are choosing to, but very often now because people have no choice, they have to escape off what I've been calling hell on earth. And if you listen to some of the stories from the people that come here looking for protection, you know, we have to say, thanks be to God there, but for the grace of God, go I. And, and do, do you also believe that some of the asylum seekers don't intend to come to Ireland? I mean, it, by all accounts, some of the media reports are saying that these 16 men thought that they were going on a truck to the United Kingdom. They didn't even realise they were in Ireland. Yeah, that, that's, that's quite often the case as well. Um, and because they just get a truck that they can get into, hide in there, and then they may not know where it's going and, and they, they end up here. So we know that the Gardaí, the immigration services here, and uh, are doing the very best they can um, to ensure that this doesn't happen because the big, big risk, of course, is that someone would, that people would die in, in these trucks. I mean, I understand that, you know, the refrigeration wasn't on in the truck and if it was, it might have been a different story and obviously the people in Essex my understanding is they died from suffocation, which is an awful way to die. We saw the message that young child sent to her mother, dear mom, my, my, my 
Vince Abroad didn't work. I can't breathe. I'm dying. I'm sorry. I mean, if any of us had got that message, how, how would you feel? You know? Terrible Dreadful, dreadful. But we don't have enough accommodation. I know there's now talks and has been talks about using state-owned uh, land. And I see in the Irish Times today that there's a piece uh, for new centres planned for 5,500 uh, asylum seekers. Yeah, that particular piece actually is, is misleading. It's not actually true. Uh, what has happened there is all the accommodation centres that we have at the moment have to re-tender because we have uh, we have improved the standards now and they have to re-tender. So that 5,500 number includes um, uh, contractors that have to re-tender. So the number of uh, new centres will be quite small overall. Um, so that, that, that just want to clarify that, that we're not actually having new centres for 5,000 extra. It's actually including quite a lot of the centres that are already in operation that have to re-tender. But are there plans to build for the state to build their own? And this, if, if there are, this isn't a new suggestion. I remember John O'Donoghue back in, in 2000 uh, talking about a policy to try to find uh, accommodation. There was talks about the state building their own. Seven of our uh, existing centres are state-owned. Uh, so that's 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 out there how many did, how many did, did this does that seven house we have thought I haven't got that figure in front of me here okay. now but some of them at loan I know is quite big and Kinsale Road is quite big but um a couple of hundred in each I think but the, the so we have seven state owned and then others then are um private. are privately owned yeah. obviously yeah now we are we're exploring every opportunity at the moment um and we have uh, tenders out across the country uh asking people that have property that might be suitable and meet the standards to, let, to contact the, um, the procurement agencies um, because it's done out to a government procurement service uh, to see whether or not we can actually procure more accommodation, a suitable accommodation to house uh, families that come here looking for protection. So that's ongoing at the moment um, across the country. But can you, when we're talking about figures, and I know I, I saw a figure online uh, yesterday that you know said in, in the, the 20,000 since the the 20 years since the state has been uh, looking after asylum seekers and, and providing direct provision, some 1.3 billion has been spent on accommodation. The bulk, a lot of that, majority of that has gone to private operators. When people see and hear figures like that, David, I, you know, straight away this morning people are talking about we have a housing crisis, we can't look after our own. And I think everyone has huge sympathy for these people. As you say, some of them are coming from, from hell on earth. But can you understand the anger of people when we've got 10,000 of our own in homeless accommodation. Yeah, and, and it's quite easy to, to abandon about figures and billions and billions and so forth and make it, you know, and, as people, and I can understand certainly people would have concerns, but I know from the housing point of view that, you know, it's, it's a matter of actually getting it done. Finance, thankfully our economy is doing well and finance is not the issue uh, with respect to building houses. It's just a matter of getting the, the thing done and the minister I know of for housing on Murphy is working extremely hard to get to get housing built across and he's succeeding as well um on the other but hand, we're not building we, them fast enough, David. Well, I mean, he would, he would admit that, and we all admit that. But look, there, there has been uh, improvements, and there have been more houses. More houses are being built than ever before. I think last year was it was it was a huge number of houses have gone up, and there are far more on the planning process at the moment. So it is happening. It's going to take a while, but it is happening. Um, some commentators are saying that if all the houses that are being planned at the moment come on stream, we you know we will certainly meet meet the demand, and that should be a huge help. But that's the aim, and, and as I say, finance isn't the issue there now. Thankfully, because we have the the finance. The country is doing well from that point of view, even though we have to be cautious with Brexit, still not, not sorted. Um, on the issue of uh, looking after people, it costs about €44 Euro per day 
to look after um, a person who seeks international protection. That's full bed, full board, laundry, all the services that they need. And that's quite good value for money. And on top of that, we have the ombudsman and ombudsman for children making sure that uh, inspecting and going in to see if everything is okay. We have our own people inspecting. We have standards. We have the McMahon report to make sure that the, uh, that we treat people properly. The children can go to school. And now, obviously, people can work as well. A lot of the finance, actually, that you mentioned is re- re- stays in the local areas. So we have people employed in the local areas. Um, we have asked the, the uh, service providers to ensure that where they can, that they source food and other services in the local areas. So quite often, having a centre in an area is actually an injection of capital and funds and resources and employment into an area. On top of that, we have children going to school and have come across areas where uh, schools have retained teachers because extra children have come in and schools have got extra resources because of that. Uh, local sports clubs have got more people involved. Um, many rural areas tell us that, that people are leaving. Well, no, in this instance, people are coming back in and they're getting involved in various clubs and organisations and sports, which is good for an area. So does it sadden you when you see community, communities who don't want direct provision centres in, in your area? Or is it a bit of fear of the unknown by these people? Well, I would, um, I mean, we have a lot of very good stories out there. I mean, Balahadreen has got international recognition for what they've done with the uh, refugees there. And they've been cited all over the world as a fantastic welcoming place. Lisdon and Van are the same. Boris O'Kane very recently the same. Ken Vara for emergency accommodation recently. So I, it does disappoint me when I see the first reaction is to start protesting and put on the yellow vests and march up and down outside the place. And I've, I've asked people, look, there's no need for this. We have 39 centres. Visit any of them. Uh, meet the people living there. Meet the people running the centres. And they'll tell you that you know, the centres are fine. There are no issues in the locality. In fact, as I said, it brings in an economic boost into a locality quite often. And in all the centres where people are living, in the towns and across the country and cities, there are no issues from the asylum seekers because people who come here looking for international protection, they do not want any trouble whatsoever. Absolutely not. All they want is to get on with their lives. All they want is peace and quiet and an opportunity to recover from, in some instances, which are terrible ordeals and experiences. Uh, and rear their children. And um, as a, so, as and a, so, t- a, tell me a little bit about this refugee community uh, sponsorship yeah. uh, program. There's been a pilot pro- project, uh, and I believe we were involved here in Cork. Yes, we were. Um, it's something that I, I came across. Uh, you know, when I met people from Canada, and I went to the UK to see it in action over there, and I was really, really impressed. Quite a lot of the communities come to us, and they say, you know, we want to help. When that child was actually pictured dead in the beach in Turkey, um, Alan, he, he, he's a three-year-old child, and a lot of people came to us and said, what can we do to help refugees and people that need help? And what we've done here now, we've, 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 we've taken the model that they have in Canada and in the UK, and what we've said to communities, if you want to help, this is a way you can do it. And very simply, what they have to do is to, they have to locate a property in their town, in their village, in their community that no one is using. They've got to make get that available, furnish it, um, do some learning and training with respect to the family that's going to come. We worked in with the UNHCR in the in, in the slums in Beirut, if you will, where these people are living in the shanty towns there. They identify a family. The family agrees to come. The family flies into Ireland and the people from the community meet the family and bring them straight to the house and wrap themselves around them and support them and integrate them and help them in every way. It's an amazing um, uh, 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 process. It's it's heartwarming. It's very human. It works very well. And the people, Patricia, that get involved in this tell me that nothing in their lives before has given them such satisfaction as, I suppose, look at the the old St. Francis uh, line, it's in giving you receive. People getting involved in this find it's amazing. 
they get, get personal satisfaction and fulfilment from being involved in this. So it's, it's, it's one house. I know that we did it here in Middleton, in Carrick Tuhill, in my own area here where I'm living, and there are two families. And then Kinsale, I know, are looking very seriously at it. And there's a family in Lismore, Dunshockland, and I think we have about 22 communities across the country now who are interested in this. So we did a pilot to, to learn how it works. It's been very successful. We've, we've learned a lot from it, and now last week I, I, I launched it nationally here in Cork, in the Nanwale Nagel Centre, and we've invited communities across the country to get involved. Integration.ie is the website if people want more information on it, information.ie, and basically what you're talking about is a group of people locally, five, six, ten people coming together, forming a, a group, raising some funding themselves, locating a house, and off you go. Okay, a couple of people are on. This is to do with the protests outside the direct provision centres or the proposed direct provision centres. Karen, in McCroom. Now, McCroom is a good example of of asylum seekers being integrated. All the asylum seekers in McCroom are getting on really well with the community and they're involved in community activities. But at the start, says Karen, there was fear. And it was fear of the unknown also. We didn't know that they were coming. Uh, David and his department can blame themselves for those protesting. You need to tell communities what's happening. And and Irene and Yall is asking the same question. Why does the department keep it a secret and not tell people that people are coming? That's why people then get fearful. Yeah, that's an extremely good question and I'm looking for an answer and we're struggling with it. Because, you see, we we put out, as I said earlier, a call for accommodation. So Patricia Messenger contacts us and says, I have a property, can I... Can it be used for asylum seekers or for international protection accommodation? So the question is, do I then tell everybody in the country that you have done that? I can't, because it's a confidential procurement process. Um, and in any event, it may not happen at all. It may not, the, the actual property may not be suitable. So then the, the, the officials go to the area and they look at the property and it's inspected. And at that stage, if they say, well, you know, there's a possibility here, do we then have a public meeting and tell everyone this is going to happen? We can't because we still haven't made a deal. So it goes on and then eventually um, a deal might be made with the owner. And at that stage, everyone is told about it and all the information is made available. Uh, and we have the experience across the country, as I say, of 39 centres working well. But I'm looking at ways, how can we get over this conundrum? Uh, we're legally bound not to actually break confidences because this is a commercially sensitive operation initially. Um, and as I say, it may not happen. So nobody has come up with an answer to this. But all I can say is that I invite people to look at all the centres, and McCroom is a great example, and the people at McCroom have been exemplary and a fantastic example of, of making integration work. When the people arrived there, people had questions, questions, uh, um, the questions were answered. We have people that go to this. Two, big, two of the big questions are schools and, and, and doctors. We have an official seconded to us from the Department of Education. She goes to the schools, and, and that's working well, and the schools are extraordinarily receptive and positive towards the new people coming in. We then go, she then goes to the, 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 another person from the HSC goes to the uh, local doctors to see if they have accommodation. And in some parts of the country, you know, the doctors don't have huge lists. In some places they have, in other places they don't. So the experience has been, we've, we, it has worked, we have managed it well, and we have also established friends of the centres in each area so local people can get involved. And in one particular case recently, I was told there was a big problem in that the local people were sending in too many presents and gifts to the people in the centre. And it probably works because it's been done in small numbers. Well, well yeah, I mean, and we're, we're quite happy to sit down with, with community leaders and we want to do that in each area. Once we know we, we're, we're going to open a centre, we want to sit down with community leaders, tease out the issues, answer the questions, look at all the concerns people might have, and, and we can address all of those because we have the experience and the, the officials 
who really work very hard on this have that experience. Uh, rather than people protesting and having the public meeting, getting everyone cross and angry about something that they don't have enough information about, what I'm okay. asking people is let's give this a chance. These are people who really want our assistance and our help and our support while their claims are being processed. And in some instances, you know, we may have to tell them, sorry, you can't stay in Ireland, you've got to go back to the country you came from. Uh, and quite a lot of them do that then. They and go back. E- economic reasons is not a good enough reason to claim asylum, is it? I, no, the, the, the um, various um, conventions that we have signed up to uh, talk about people being in fear of persecution, yeah. being in fear yeah. of, of torture and their lives being at risk. Okay, and, and when you say the international laws there, we must protect these people when they come in and, and offer them asylum and let them go, go through the process. Um, somebody is asking, Jaron Ahada is, is asking, do we get any money from international sources towards the cost of their care or does all the money come from the taxpayer? Does no, we do actually. The uh, the, um, the European Union does give us some funding as well for, for these processes. Yeah, okay. so we do. All right. Okay, we'll leave it there. Listen, David, we appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. Anytime, Thank you for Patricia. that. Thanks. Thank you. Good morning Bye to you. Well. That is the Minister for Immigration and Integration, uh, David Stanton. 1850-333-103. John Paul, uh, taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Hello, this is Eric Griffin. Join me Monday to Friday between 7 and 8 for some great songs on C103 Anthems. Hello, this is Sean Keane. Hello, this is Cathy Durkin. Hi, this is Louise Morrissey. Hi, this is Mick Flavin. Hello, this is Declan Ernie here and you're listening to Eric Griffin on Country and Irish on C103. Don't miss Anthems at 7 and the very best of Country and Irish remains right here on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103 103. St. George's Arts and Heritage Centre in Mitchellstown is undergoing a 1 million euro redevelopment, which is seeing it evolve and adapt into a centre for the arts, the heritage and tourism. So to give us an update on this ambitious project and in advance of a Christmas market that's taking place next Sunday at the Old Church, I'm joined by local historian Bill Power, who's chairman of the organising committee. Good morning to you, Bill. Good morning, Patricia. And a pleasure as always to have you on the programme. And it rained this week and the rain came in. Tell me how bad it, it got on Tuesday night. Well, on Tuesday night we had uh, 30 buckets out. Uh, 23 of those are actually in the front section under the steeple and the two front rooms of the, of the building. Um, we had, a, give or take, six or seven leaks in the main part of the church. Now, Luckily enough, some of those areas, they, they rarely, you know, it's only really in bad rain that the water comes in. And those, we have some per, persistent leaks that we just can't find. Um, but this, by the way, is despite the fact that we, <clears throat> we've had an awful lot of work done on the roof over the summer and just trying to plug leaks. Um, we're ultimately facing a re-roofing job on the church that will be somewhere in the region of 200,000. Is is it almost a priority for you? It it really is. There were other works that we had to get done over the, over the summer, um, primarily to do with securing the bell, securing the floors in front. It, it, the, the front part of the building was all a um, big problem with wet and dry rot there. Um, while the bell was safe, we kind of felt, look, since we have the scaffolding in, we better do this now. Um, so that all proved very expensive. Um the floors got to the stage where one floor, for example, that we thought was perfectly fine, when we lifted up the, the um, floorboards along by the wall, we discovered that there was actually very little holding it up. So there was an immediate decision that floor comes out and we have to replace it. 
Um, so the, what we were dealing with up to now really was primarily focused on getting the building usable and making the building safe. So the next priority now, which really last week brought it home to us very much, we had restored the stairs um, and the, the, you know, the, the stairs had needed a lot of attention and uh, with water leaking over the stairs. So that means the front part of the roof, which is the big problem, is the, is the roof area that faces down George Street. This is just for local people who, who know the geography of the building. Um, it's the two little front roofs in front. They're actually the biggest problem. Can I say, I, I passed it last week and the roof looks okay from the outside. And I know that must be desperately frustrating for you as you were there with all your buckets. Um, well, that's what's so deceptive, isn't it, about an old building? Well, well the thing that I, I, I can't say I'm amused by it now, but the thing that I find this small bit frustrating since we took over the building, people coming in on a fine day and they're looking up at the ceiling and they're kind of going, God, you know, the place doesn't look on that bad. And you're saying, well, come in here now on a wet day and you exactly. want to get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of local support bill are you getting? I have to say it is fantastic. Um, look, we haven't gone over the collection bucket yet. We haven't approached local businesses for sponsorship. Um, the, the, we've probably raised at the moment somewhere around 70,000, 80,000 since last April. Um, and the kind of money that's, that's coming in, I mean, People have, for example, the concerts that we're holding from now until Christmas. All the performers in those concerts are doing it for free. Brilliant. Um, we, you know, we have Eric Dolan, who's a local lad. Wonderful guy. Yeah, doing incredibly well on the, on the international scene. He's coming to us on the 30th of, of this month. Um, it's a concert that is purely to raise money for, for the building. The same with the folks there. I mean... You need to get the folks on air. That's all I'm just going to say to you. Okay. I, I, I saw the poster, but I hadn't heard of them. Yeah, they're, they're a, a local group of lads. They're absolutely correct. I well, their, mothers, their mothers won't mind me saying that, but they're great crack. Okay. Um, and they have a kind of a cult following. Um, as one of them said to me, that you couldn't give concessions because half, half of their audience are, are old age pensioners and the other half are youngsters. <laughs> so they, <laughs> but, uh, so they're, they're doing a night. They're doing a nice, and we have the Belcanto Choir, then extremely well-known choir yeah. in which was done. They're doing a night for us on the 14th of December. And, you know, that's the kind of goodwill. We've had so many performers over the summer. And people are buying the tickets and supporting people it. People are that's, buying the tickets. And, and, and as the money is coming in, you're putting it straight into the building. Is oh, yeah, that, that yeah? Well, the, the priority now is that we have a date um, because of the work done this summer. Okay. Um we did get grants from the county council, but they don't come anywhere near what we need to do. And I have to say the county council has been excellent as well. Um, but the the priority really for the year ahead, I suppose we have two priorities really. One is to get the money somewhere to do the two front rules. Okay. And the second one is that um, to what I call improve audience experience. And by that I mean that we need to put in a permanent heating system into the church. Um, and we need to put um, soft seating and soft cushions and things like that on the pews. Now, I should mention that we are going to have heating brought in for the concerts over Christmas. But still um, wear warm clothes. It, oh, but yeah. still wear warm clothes. And I always say to people, if you go into anything in a church, bring a cushion. Bring a cushion Hi. and you can, br- you can, you can bring, bring a glass. Can you bring a glass of wine? I was just about to say you can bring your bottle <laughs> great, of wine. Great minds think alike there, 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 Bill. Now you've got the the Sunday Christmas market. What can people expect? Yeah. And how well, do you do that in a church? Well, what we've done, and for 
for people who know St. George's, they'd know that it is your typical church with pews laid out as churches are normally laid out. But what we've done is we've come up with a system where we've moved all the pews. Well done. And we've opened up the floor space inside and we'll be putting up a marquee on the vendor side of the of the building. Um, we have, uh, I think, uh, now the, the prime organiser of this, and she's put huge work into it, is Claudia Matassa. Um, and Claudia's involved with the Business Association, Mitchellstown. And um, Claudia has, uh, the last I heard, she had 40 stalls. She well done. Me, she I, said she could have two of these events because she's so many people looking to come. And they're great. They're, they're, they're always, they're great for if you want to pick up quirky Christmas presents. Yeah. And they're, and they're, the atmosphere at these Christmas craft fairs are, are always electric as well. I'm always saying to people, get you into the, the Christmas balls and you've got a Christmas tree outside and everything. So it's well, it's looking the, festive. Now, as you mentioned, the Christmas tree, the tree will be lit at six o'clock this evening. Well done. Well it's done. The first time St. George's has had a Christmas tree. But what we're also doing is that all the front windows of the building, uh, both the ground floor level and high up in the steeple, they're actually going to be coloured lit at night from now on. So oh, that's it's really not a case of just for it, Christmas, it'll be for all the time. It, it'll really make it stand out. And I saw during the week that you've received charitable status. That's important. Yes. Oh, and yeah. dare I say, you got it quite quickly. We got it very quickly. I, I know groups that have been at this for years. And again, you know, this is another example of the kind of help and support we get. And um, Ballyhora has been absolutely supportive of us from the beginning. And they did a lot of the, the sort of graft in terms of helping us to get the charitable status. Now, that's important because, look, there are five directors involved in this. Because it's a company limited by guarantee, we can't take a penny out of the company. We do it voluntarily. And by having charitable status, it not only reinforces that, but it also means that there there are certain advantages in terms of, um, we'll say, applying for grants from Mm. the the Heritage Council they look more favourably on an organisation that, that has it. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it also means that there is a small little bit to be got back, and it's not a lot, but there's a little bit got back um, from the vest that we pay for the various materials and, and labour in the building. Okay, we will touch base with you again uh, in the new year. In the meantime, the big one is the craft fair this Sunday. What time is that yeah. on from? Um, that's running from 11 o'clock in the morning and it'll go on to about four in the afternoon. Okay, and then are the tickets still on sale for any of the concerts? The tickets are on sale for all the concerts. Um, they can contact us directly or, I know I'll forget somebody now, but Reedy's um, Vegetable Garden, um, Roach's Spar, um, people like um, the Treasure Chest, the Favourite, Diva, they're all selling tickets. Oh, isn't that great? Oh, that's... And could I mention one other fundraiser we have that might interest people not from Mitchellstown? And might be coming to the concerts. We've produced a, a 2020 calendar. They're my photographs, so that's the plug for me on it. And he's a great photographer. Um, I should have mentioned that when I said his story, um, and I should have photographer, so I'll go on. Thank you. Um, the calendar was actually sponsored by Hodgson Pastures and um, Bannerville and Host Farm. So every penny that comes in from the calendar goes to St. George's. And where are then, they on sale? They're on uh, in various local shops. Some of the places I've just mentioned, plus places like Central. Chamberlain's um, Super Value. In and around Mitchellstown. The, the in and around Mitchellstown. And, and they'll, be at, they'll be at the craft fair on Sunday, I take it as well. They'll be at the craft fair on Sunday. Okay. Good luck with it, Bill. Pleasure as always to talk to you. Have a great Christmas and we'll talk again and in the new too, year. Patricia, take care. Thanks for, the, 
thanks for the support. Take, Take care. Bye bye. Uh, Bill Power, who is chairman of that organising group, uh, St. George's Arts Heritage Centre Image. So as I say, it is such an ambitious uh, project and we wish them well with it. OK, we're going to take a break. We've news at 12 midday on the way. There are now even more ways to listen to C103. Tune in on your radio, go online or grab our mobile app. And now you can ask your smart speaker to play C103. Play C103. OK. So you can just follow me. Try it now. Try it now. C103. I'm Charlotte Cowie, and well, you know me. Here to spill the magic beans about Jack and Jill, Prof, Mam, and Goose, and the tallest giant you've ever seen. There'll be a massive beanstalk for our explorer, Jack. I'm on a big adventure, and I hope I'm coming back. Make sure you come and join us while we climb to brand new heights. The Everyman Christmas Panto. We guarantee it's out of sight. C103 presents Jack and the Beanstalk from November 30th. The ultimate panto experience with sensational singing, dancing and non-stop laughter. See everymancork.com. Book your tickets now for Jack and the Beanstalk. The Everyman Panto. It's for everyone. With C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Big, big reaction to my interview with Minister David Stanton with a lot of people having opinions on asylum seekers and refugees and in particular commenting on the 16 men who were found in the container uh, and the the large number of people who have come to this country. We've had the highest number this year seeking asylum in the first nine months of the year and we haven't seen figures like that since 2008 a lot of people have commentary on it. I'll get your comments in a minute. But in the middle of all of those texts that were coming in, we, we touched on housing when I was speaking with David Stanton because so many people were saying, how can we ha- house refugees and asylum seekers when we've got a ho- housing crisis? He says that the Minister for Housing, uh, Owen Murphy and the government, that they're doing their best. Houses are being built and we've had more houses built this, this year than in previous years. And that, you know, they're... Money isn't an issue, he said. The funding is there. Surprised to hear him say that, but he said money isn't an issue. Country is doing well. They have the money and they're building the houses. I did say not quick enough, but he said they're doing the best they can, but they are building houses. So in the middle of that, a listener texted in and said that the new estate that's been built in Formoy above the Amber Station, according to this texter, is being locked up this evening because there's some problem between the council and the developer. So the texture says, so to say that there are plenty of, there's plenty of money for housing, which was stated by David Stanton on your programme now is a joke. There's no hope now of any of these houses being ready for Christmas and the families waiting will have to wait even longer. So we decided we would get on to the local. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. ...counsellor in for my Noel McCarthy to try to find out, is there a problem with these houses? And uh, Noel joins me. Good afternoon to you, Noel. Good morning, Patricia. Good have, morning. You, have you heard any rumours about these houses? Well, like, there was over the last couple of weeks, a lot of people have said to me there might be a problem in, in Cranard, which is the name of the site where the house will be built up Pike Road. And I said, well, look, people are saying there was concerns. So what I did, Patricia, was last Monday was a northern meeting in Mallow, and it was a housing report, which we have every three months. So I put down a motion for that meeting to get an update on that development in Cranard and the other site in Fumoy, which was in Dunteheen. And we got very positive news back. There was no sign of a problem from the from the housing executive. And what they said to us was actually that there's 52 houses being built in Cranard and they're now ready to hand over 17 of them before Christmas, which I thought was great news, positive news for everyone in Fomoy and surrounding areas that is on the housing list and, and waiting a long time. And that the other development with the rest of the balance of the houses in Cranard would be ready in April. So I thought that was all positive news. We got a written report, both I and my colleagues got back. So I took that as a very positive news and there, there was no problem in the site. Uh, it so could just be, it could literally just be a rumour. Let's nip it in the bud uh, because that certainly is going to be good news. 17 families, what a Christmas present they're going to be getting. It's a great news. Like It's great news for, for my and surrounding areas that we have 98 houses which will co- completely be built or finished in April and be handed out. That's great news on a, on a, housing, on a housing list. That, and as I said, people are waiting for a long time. And the 17 now is, is great news before Christmas. How will they be allocated, Noel? Well, they'll go up in the CBA like the, we do with all our allocations in okay. the Council, Patricia, and the, the people will be, make their bid for them. There's uh, three bedrooms and two bedrooms in this um development and I think there's a couple of four bedrooms I'm not certain of the breakdown of the 17 okay. or two or three but in time there'll be 52 of them there in the Cranard development the one we're talking about and 46 in Dunteheen okay. it's great news and, you, and, you're, and building is going you're seeing the developer they're in there they're oh. working everything's going I was was up there as late as this morning. I passed up there and I saw people up there working. I saw them all week. So if there is a problem, hopefully it's only a small thing or maybe there might be some problem. Can I also, just by one underline, Patricia, compliment the contractors. Like they've done great work, the staff and everything. I can see them on a daily basis, both in Cranard and in Dunteheen. I think they must be a very much compliment on the work they have done. Well done. So well fair done. And you know, okay. I think that's very important. Okay, then Thank let's you, let's nip it in the bud. That's the. Okay. Oh, hang on now before you before you come yep. off the line. Uh, John yep. Paul is just taking a call from somebody to say my husband is being laid off from working there at the site this evening. There is a problem between the well, council then, uh, and the builder. Well, 
Well, I, I have to com- I have to confirm that and clarify it, as I said. I could only go back to Monday where we got the written reply and there was no bad news. It was all positive. And that was given at that meeting on that week. So I'm concerned when I hear people being saying they're laid off or what is the reason for it. Okay. I definitely check Look, with the, I'm in County Hall as I speak okay. to Patricia. So I'll be checking it here now and then. Uh, and they, and this, this lady whose husband is working on the site is adamant the houses will not be ready, will not be handed out by Christmas. Let's well, hope that that's... So let's, let, then maybe we do have a problem. We'll let you look we into it. it uh, we'll we'll hardly... We won't get back to it today, but we'll certainly come back to it on Monday. Uh, uh, thank you for I that, Noel. Thanks, thanks for joining us. That certainly is worrying news, but thank you for people keeping us updated on that. 1850-333-103. Will we lighten the mood and do this? Hello, Santa here. Call now to win your family pass to Magical Blarney. 1850-333-103. C103. Okay, get dialing on that. What that is going on. Can I just give you a sample of some of the calls and comments that came in when I was speaking with Minister David Stanton? We were talking about asylum seekers. We were talking about refugees. And we were talking about the 16 men found in the container coming from Sherbrooke to uh, Ross Lair. And they are our latest asylum seekers in this uh, country. People are still not happy about the idea of the number of asylum seekers and the amount of money that's been spent on direct provision on housing asylum seekers and also the length of time that the process is taking even though Minister Stanton says that the time is reducing the numbers because it was taking years and years for people to have their status processed. I mean, that figure of a thousand people who are in direct provision for over five years. But that's the, he says, the historical problems and that newer people coming into the system are having their status decided whether they can legally stay here, whether they're entitled to stay here or whether they are being sent home instead. Uh, John says, Patricia, at the end of the day, this country has enough people sponging off the state. Uh, David Stanton needs to look after his own people. Not happy with David Stanton. He will never see a poor day going around. How many people are in this country unaccounted for? It's time to wake up and close the door. The country has enough, says uh, John. (laughs) Can I just say, it isn't a case of inviting Certainly the asylum seekers, whatever about refugees, we take a very tiny number of refugees, but the asylum seekers arrive. They're not invited in. It's when they arrive then because of this international law that says we have to give them protection. That's where the government have no choice but to uh, house them. Tim says the Clonakilty Agricultural College, he reckons, will be a great facility for refugees. Students no longer staying there. There's lots of space. And also he thinks Clonakilty will be very welcoming because they are a free trade town and they're also the first, very first autism friendly town in Ireland. They're a very proactive uh, town. Someone else by Texas regarding direct provision and asylum seekers. In the present doll discussions on the subject a politician can be referred to as racist for questioning the nuts and bolts of a serious situation. The word racist should not be used to describe a person expressing concerns about who those people are. That's not racism. That's just a genuine concern, says a listener. And then by WhatsApp, someone else, Sean in Carrigan not happy with David Stanton. Record levels of people on hospital trolleys. 
record levels of people living in homeless accommodation. We've got crime, sexual assaults, and now he wants to bring in more illegal immigrants. It is disgraceful, says uh, Sean. And Dan, and my apologies, Dan, I didn't get to your question because so many questions came in while... Minister Stanton was on the line. Dan wanted to know if I could ask David Stanton how many direct provision centres are within walking distance of his home. And he's, and then he came back with, he said, if you Google direct provision centres, strangely, there isn't one in Middleton. Uh, strange, isn't it? Even though he did say he's living close to people who are uh, being accepted as refugees and have come in under that community project that he is uh, talking about. And, you know, OK, listen, just in defence of David Stanton, because see people are not happy at all uh, with David Stanton and with his comments. David Stanton has the best intentions in the world. He's minister. He's responsible for these people that are coming into this country. As I said at the outset, he's not asking them to come. Asylum seekers arrive as they did they did this morning in the back of a container that they managed uh, to get into. And David Stanton also, I think, has knowledge that none of us has. He has first-hand knowledge in that he gets to meet with and talk with these people, and particularly refugees who come to this country, and he knows the condition. He's listening to people saying that they've come out of a, of a living hell. So I think it's, you know, it's very easy for us to give out and say we don't want any of these people, but if somebody arrived at our doorstep and genuinely have come from a really, really bad situation. We are a very kind and generous nation. We won't be seen to turn anybody away. But I think what frustrates people is when they think people are coming here to scam the system. When we hear of people who are economic migrants, they're coming from countries where they're not in danger and not in fear of their life. And they're just they're coming here because they think it's easy pickings. I think that's what frustrates and annoys people. And we need to weed them out. And if there are asylum seekers who are doing that, who would just see us as a soft, tough touch. They need to be weeded out and they need to be weeded out quickly and sent back ASAP. Cathy says, hi Patricia, with regards to asylum seekers, can I ask why these people get medical assistance immediately and don't have to wait on trolleys for days like the rest of us? Uh, says Cathy in West Cork, if you can show me evidence of an asylum seeker who didn't have to wait on a trolley, then I, I certainly will take a look at it. So I'm not too sure what examples you are citing there by calls into John Paul who did well can I say to get to so many calls that uh, came in Frankie Kinsale says the Taoiseach last night when he was talking and asked about the 16 men who arrived into Ireland in the back of that uh, container um, when he arrived by boat we need to consider them Oh, sorry, no, this is, a, this is a separate text. Sorry. The Taoiseach said, when people arrive into this country on a boat or a truck, we need to consider them with regards to asylum. So for our homeless people, says Frank, is that not what we need to do? Put them on a boat or a trailer so that they can gain access to food and accommodation. All our homeless people are just looking for somewhere to put their heads down. A lot of people that are losing their houses have worked very, very hard hard. John in Cove says they found their way into this country. They can find their way back to where they came from. We cannot cope in this country. We need to send them back like they do in Australia. Neve on Twitter says if we could see deportations taking place we might see the system working. As it is most deportation numbers are just turned away at airports. There's a silent amnesty for the majority that are filling up our courts and they're filling up our courts for over five years. Jar in Ahad says over 5,000 have come into this uh, country. Uh, I think that figure is even higher. But anyway, and it's it's 
going to cost over 300 million euro. Well, David Stanton cleared that up and says that, that that's the figure from the Irish Times you're talking about that's incorrect. But anyway, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. As a taxpayer, do we pay for it all or is it the EU? As an Irish taxpayer, I would like, and, and I did ask David that, he says we get some money, some, but not all of it. As a taxpayer, I would like to see some of that money go to Cork, some of that money to go to the homeless situation. David Stanton said on, said on prime time that we cannot bring people into this country and let them sleep on the streets. If David walks the streets tonight, he'll see that Irish people are sleeping on the streets. So why can't we build houses for both asylum seekers and for Irish people? Do it on state lands and let everyone be equal. Okay, that's just a sample of uh, some of the many, many calls and texts that uh, we received. 1850 You can stop calling us on our magical Blarney competition because we have our winner, our final winner for today. It's uh, Margaret Lewis in Glamworth. Congratulations to you, Margaret. You and your family will be heading off to see Santa at Magical Blarney. We hope it is a magical experience for you. And it is a Magical Blarney Free Santa Friday. Some more of those tickets will be given away this afternoon with Nick and again with Martina. So stay listening all afternoon to be with a chance of winning uh, passes to Magical Blarney at Blarney Woollen, Woollen Mills running from November 23rd to Christmas Eve. You can visit MagicalBlarney.com The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie and a reminder to you that the Christmas Craft Fair scheduled for this coming Sunday at the Donkey Sanctuary is cancelled as a virus has been detected in one of the donkeys at Hannigan's Farm. There's a quiz followed by an 80s disco at tonight. Starts at half past eight in Mayfield GAA Club. It's a native Chloe's journal, journey. Tables of five, ten euro. There will be lots of great spot prizes. Table quiz for the Parents Association of Skull on Creevnefa in Castletown Bear. That goes ahead tonight, 8 o'clock, Bearer Coast Hotel. Tables of four, 20 euro. All families welcome. The Gagan Bazaar that will be held in Gagan Community Hall starting tonight at 8. Great prizes on the spinner. And the Gagan Community 2020 calendar will also be on sale. Music of the Night, a Christmas concert, will be held in the Church of Nativity in Donorel. That's on tonight at half past seven. Proceeds from the concert going to the upkeep of both churches in Donorel and also for juvenile training at Donorel Golf Club. Castle Magna players are staging Mother Knows Best. That's in Castle Magna Community Centre. They open tonight and run nightly at 8pm over this weekend and next weekend. Bingo's on in Kildallery Parish Hall. That's at half past eight. And Clyde Rovers have their lot of draw. Derry's Bar tonight with a jackpot of €3,450. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now this afternoon at half past three, we'll see the official opening of the Joe Walsh Walkway at Galan Lake in Clonakilty. All are very welcome to attend. And joining me with details of the event, the Mayor of uh, Cork County, Councillor Christopher O'Sullivan. Uh, good afternoon to you, Christopher. Hi, Patricia. Now, Christopher, this is phase one of uh, this uh, amenity for Clonakilty. Just to remind listeners of the background to it. Okay, first of all, I just want to apologise for my voice. I have what's commonly known as man flu. So, uh, oh, bless suffering. you, but bless your heart. There's know, a lot I'll, of it doing the rounds. I'll soldier on. Well, oh, you're very on, brave. Just, <laughs> just to apologise for uh, for the croaky voice. Um, so, the background to this, Patricia, is um, back in 2013. There was a group of us uh, locally in Clonakilty. We were looking for an area to plant a bit of a woodland. Um, 
and we approached Cork County Council. I was, I was still a member of Cork County Council at the time, and luckily Mary Ryan, who was the divisional manager at the time, pointed out this uh, 23-acre site uh, in near Galan Lake, which is just to the east of Clannacilty on the Cork Road, which a lot of people in the area will be very familiar with. Um, and this really, this event shone a spotlight on what an incredible amenity that we had there. It transpired from local knowledge that this was the route of the old uh, Cork to uh, Clannacilty to Cork railway line. So the railway line would have run, run along uh, parallel to the main road as it is now. So um, at that stage, the council had already done a feasibility study into this potential of what would be called a West Cork Greenway. So uh, myself, along with um, others, pleaded that the first section would be kind of guilty to the technology park, um, partly because of the sheer beauty of the, the lake in that area, but also because of the 1,000 employees that work out at the technology park. They uh, have no safe access, pedestrian access into town. So this was uh, this was a solution. So thankfully, phase one is complete and... Uh, Today, today is a really good day for Clannacilty. And particularly fitting, uh, Christopher, that the late Joe Walsh is going to be honoured with this naming ceremony. Yeah, it's fitting. I've just mentioned the technology park there and as we know, Joe was instrumental in creating that technology park which is, for a small town like Clannacilty, 5,000 people. It's incredible. Uh, and creating 1,000 jobs there is huge. So it's fitting that we're connecting his home, beloved hometown of Clannacilty to one of his big successful projects. But look, um, I, I never really got to know Joe uh, that well personally myself, uh, you know, from the same town, but our paths didn't actually cross that often. But obviously, uh, that doesn't mean that I wasn't aware, I am aware of the huge, huge contribution that he's made to the country. Uh, I think at the start of your radio show this morning, Patricia, you mentioned the uh, his stint as Minister for Agriculture, and I think he is widely regarded as the best Minister for Agriculture. Well, I, I, the, the foot and mouth, he was he was just incredible at the time of the foot and mouth. And there was criticism at the time saying, oh, God, he's gone over the top on this one. And then it was afterwards people realised he was so spot on and he reacted so quickly. Well, there's been a few, I suppose, uh, national crises recently. And it would often be said... Joe Walsh would have been the man to yeah, start this. It's, yeah, it's a pity Joe Walsh isn't around. Direct, yeah, direct, yeah. common sense, uh, had, had had a way of finding solutions. But, you know, there was that monumental contribution to the country. But I think it was, for me, it was his contribution to Clannacilty, uh, to a town that in the 60s and 70s, uh, we'll, let's call a spade a spade, was a fairly bleak place. You know, mm-hmm. it didn't have a lot going for it. Um, the likes of your Domanois and Skibreen uh, were far more out there in terms of um, you know, being more vibrant, but something special happened in the 1980s. Uh, you know, there was music became a big thing in Clannacilty. There was a lot of artists uh, moved here. There was a lot of people from all all around different parts of the world moved here and brought with it colour and culture. But I think um, more than anything else, it was the contribution of Joe Walsh, be it the modern Wayway Village, which has been a resounding success. I already mentioned the technology park. We had the designation of the N71 coming to Clannacilty. That would have brought huge footfall. Um, you would have had the uh, tourism incentives, which encouraged hotels to set up in Clannacilty. So, I mean, and he, and he, he loved, but he loved Clannacilty and, and and he loved West Cork. I think he would be so incredibly chuffed and proud of what is happening uh, today. Will any of his family be in, in attendance, Christopher? Yeah, so uh, thankfully the family will be there. Marie, his his uh, wife, will be there. Um, and she will be joining with me in the in the official proceedings of the ribbon and unveiling a plaque uh, for Joe, calling it the Joe Walsh uh, walkway. Um, his sons, his daughters will be there. His uh, grandkids will be there. Invited guests. Hopefully
hopefully, and, and, and look, I want to thank you for covering this because um, I think it's important that people are aware that this is on at half three today, that they get a chance to uh, come and show, I suppose, first of all, celebrate what is going to be a great addition to the town, be it for people who live in the town, who just want to get a bit of exercise, people who want to get a bit closer to nature because it's almost become uh, essentially a bit of an eco park, and also for the people who live in the technology park. Um, so it's a great day for them, but I think it's a really important day that we remember, Joe, look, there's so many things that we could have done in his honour. This this seems pretty small in the scale of what he achieved for the country and for Clannan Kilty, but... But very um, fitting. It, it is fitting. Very, and, very fitting. You know, just to steal uh, the line of a fellow councillor, Councillor Declan Hurley, in fairness, he, he penned a great line saying that, look, when we're walking on this group, walkway, that we'll be walking in the footsteps of a, of a giant, you know, and he was really a giant. Well done, player. well done. OK, listen, pass on my best wishes to Marie and to the rest of the family and um, uh, and I hope it's a wonderful, wonderful occasion Thank today. You, Half three and the members Bye-bye. of the public welcome. Thanks for that. Bye-bye. That is the Mayor of uh, Cork County, Christopher O'Sullivan. So if you're down and around Clan, uh, head down there to the walkway for that official. It's not going to take long. It'll be just a small little little uh, ceremony, but it's it's nice that uh, the late uh, Joe Walsh, who was a much-loved uh, TD in the area is going to be remembered in that way. Okay, I played the cue to call for Diana Ross and I have my final pair of tickets to give away. We've given away a pair on Wednesday, a pair on Thursday and we have the last pair because they're officially going on sale. The Diana Ross tickets go on sale on Monday morning, 9am, ticketmaster.ie if you want to purchase same but Aiken Promotions very kindly uh, gave us three uh, pairs. We've had two ladies winning the last two days. I'm told it's a gentleman. John Power is in Charleville. Good afternoon to you, John. Hello, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Well, blessed are you amongst women. We had two lady uh, winners the last two days. Are, do you like, are you a oh, fan of Diana Ross? Oh, big, oh, big fan. Big are fan you? Of Diana Ross. Yeah, big fan. Love her songs. Love her songs now and I can't wait. Great. Can't wait to go. Can't who, wait to go. Who will you bring with you? Uh, my lovely wife Fiona is coming with me. And is so, Fiona uh, a fan as well? Um, well, she is now. She's <laughs> <laughs> coming with me. So. Well, listen, in, enjoy it. Uh, it'll be oh. a, it'll be a special, special night uh, next June twenty fifth. You have Thanks a couple so of months to wait. Listen, congratulations to you. All right, thank you. Thanks a Thanks million. So bye, bye, bye bye, bye bye. John Power in Charleville, our final winner for the Diana Ross Live of the Marquee. Tickets June 25th, tickets on sale next Monday. And our thanks to Aiken Promotions uh, for those tickets. Let's take a break and we're back talking movies with Mark Malone. Hi, Nick Richards here from C103's Afternoon Show. Santa's on his way and he wants to talk to court kids. Ho, ho, ho! <laughs> I just can't wait to talk to you all on Cork's Greatest Hits, C103. The countdown to the big day is on, so don't miss your chance to talk to the big man himself. It's so easy. Simply go to c103.ie and fill out the special entry form for your chance to get a Christmas call from Santa. With World of Wonder, Blackpool and Mallow. For toys that spark imagination and joy. Worldofwonder.ie Get ready for Santa's Christmas calls. I could be talking to you with Nick Richards in the afternoon only on C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We're going to the movies with Mark Malone. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you're very welcome along. Okay, you went to the movies to see Ford versus Ferrari and then the Hurricane Heist is out on DVD. Let's take a quick trailer, though, from Ford versus Ferrari. There's a point where everything fades. As the car speeds up, 
Everything else slows down. And then you see everything. All that's left is a body moving through space and time. Push to the limit and run free. In the driver's seat, the only question that matters. Who are you? Okay, is this a boys movie all about fast cars? Oh, stop. <laughs> a movie's a movie. Movies are for everybody. And there's a couple of things, actually. First of all, it's it's not called Ford versus Ferrari here. It's called Le Mans 66 here. Okay. Uh, which shouldn't be, you know, confused. So it's Ford versus Ferrari in the States. In the States, it? yeah. And the yeah. reason is, I actually know the reason this time why they actually changed okay. it. And it's, you can't use uh, trade names uh, in movie titles in Europe. Oh, okay. Because so it's seen as advertisement. Yeah. Okay. So they, they, they changed it to Le Mans 66. So not to get confused with Le Mans, the movie from back in 1971 with Steve McQueen, which was a great movie. Nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with this, yeah. Well, it's, it's about Le Mans, yeah. But um, uh, what's interesting is that, of course, because this is a modern movie, there's a lot of CGI in this one, and, and a, a lot of the, uh, you know, the race sequences are all CGI'd. Whereas in the original film, of course, they weren't back in 1971. Steve Queen did all his own uh, stunt driving, which was extraordinary. He was an, an amazing driver, and an extraordinary uh, person. Uh, there's a couple of things too. That's a little kind of a small kind of TV spot, which gives the impression that the film is all about kind of a deep and meaningful and what driving means and yeah. what it does to people. Yeah. Uh, whereas the, if you watch the bigger um, trailer, you get the impression that it's a comedy. It's very odd because it's not a comedy at all. There are comic moments and comic elements to the film but actually it's a drama and it's a true to life drama because all of this happened and apparently they did stick as much as possible to the actual reality of what happened at Le Mans in 66 and like there's a scene at the end where because I, I didn't know the story and I, at the end I went oh come on really and it actually happened it is really really extraordinary and so they've stuck as much as possible to the reality of what happened so it's, it's, we're going back to 1966 yeah and the thing is, is that the, the, the American title is actually better because it actually explains what it's all about it's about Ford versus Ferrari and basically what happened was back in the 60s um, Henry Ford II who doesn't particularly come across as a particularly nice person in this movie and in fact because of that Ford have distanced themselves from the film and said oh. we don't like your patrol of, uh, of, of Henry Ford who comes across as a really kind of aggressive obnoxious kind of character here and so they've said that we want nothing to do with it but anyway Ford basically wants to sexy up uh, Ford because even though they are incredibly successful they They're do not hear that Ferrari exactly and they, yeah. they hear that Ferrari are in trouble and Ferrari want to sell so they go to and meet Enzo Ferrari who basically plays them for fools because there's no one in the world that uh, Ferrari, that uh, Enzo Ferrari is going to sell to an American company and basically he uses the Americans and he uses their offer to up the price and then decides to sell to Fiat instead Oh! but what Enzo does is he does remain uh, and that really happened that really happened okay. yes exactly and so he though retains control over the racing side of Ferrari whilst at the same time Henry Ford just is completely and totally angry and feels humiliated by Enzo Ferrari and decides how can we get back at Ferrari now up until then Ferrari had won Le Mans like three or four times in a row so he decides okay what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to build this supercar and we're going to beat Ferrari at their own game we're going to go to Le Mans and we're going to beat them and so he enlists uh, the help of Matt Damon here who plays the character of uh, Carol Shelby a real person who isn't ra- motor racing anymore because he's got a bit of a heart condition but he does have his own racing uh, com- 
company. And he then enlists the help of Ken Miles, this uh, racing driver played by Christian Bale, who was a bit of a kind of a hot Good head. lineup. It's a terrific lineup, but mm. actually, originally Brad Pitt and uh, Tom Cruise were meant to be in the film, but they pulled out. Okay. So we have, and I think it's better that we have Damon and Bale. Now, I've been a critic of Bale in the past because, you know, for me, he tends to kind of overdo things. He's been yeah. a method actor. Somebody, I read a review, said, oh, he's overacting in, it, in this whole thing. I think he's really restrained in this. And, of course, with Christian Bale, you either get fat Bale or skinny Bale. Yeah. We have very skinny Bale okay. uh, in this film. And I think he's very, very good. And so the film leads up to the, the problems that they have and trying to uh, develop this car uh, to go to, to, to Le Mans in, in 1966, to go up against uh, Ferrari. There's a lot of CGI, yes, but it's CGI that works. And it's difficult to actually figure out where it is uh, and, and how it, it's implanted into the film. But it's very, very good. It's directed by James Mangold, who directed Logan and one of my favorite restra- uh, uh, westerns of recent times, 310 to Yuma, uh, which also st- uh, starred Christian Bale. I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fabulous. And you're not going to give the ending away. And I'm not going to give the ending away, but when you see it, you will be amazed and you will be amazed that it was actually something that did happen. And to the point that you had to Google and it did actually happen. It did actually happen, yes. (laughs) Always a good sign when you take to Google. Okay, so a mark out of 10? Uh, I'm going to give it nine. Nine out of 10. And that's in the cinema's... At yep. the moment. OK, now DVD or streaming The Hurricane Heist. It's described as an action adventure. Yeah. I don't know why they put the then. I think it would have been a better title with just, just Hurricane, Hurricane Heist. heist. And yeah. again, it says what it says on the tin. It's a heist that happens during a hurricane. hurricane. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, this is directed by Rob Cohen, who directed uh, a couple of Fast and Furious movies and Triple X. And so this is a man who kind of knows about his action. Think of uh, The Day After Tomorrow. Think of Geostorm. You know, all of these movies that basically are a lot of CGI, all to do with it's the weather. It's a big weather. storm movie then. It's a big storm yeah. coming in. So therefore, uh, these thieves decide to use the storm to attack an American mint so that, and to steal 600 million dollars whilst the storm is going on uh, which of course with all the confusion they think okay we're going to get in we're going to you know we're going to steal all this money uh, during the storm one of the worst storms ever apparently and so therefore um, you know it's all CGI as, as you'd expect and it's a, it's an odd little thing the thing is that the film is about an hour and a half long but it does feel longer it did have a it bombed at the box office nobody liked it it did have um, a, um, a 35 million um, uh, money put into it but the thing is is that it doesn't really look it it actually looks pretty cheap obviously they didn't bother with any stars the film stars Tony Kebble uh, Ryan Quanton Ralph Innocent Jamie Andrew Cutler I don't know who any uh, of these actors are I was just going to say should I know who some of these people are I have no are? idea who any of these people are okay. and the fact is and none of them are American so the money wasn't spent on the cast uh, not, not in any way shape or form but the, 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 a lot of the CGI does look like TV it looks like a TV movie a lot of the time and uh, they obviously filmed in kind of high definition cameras rather than film and so therefore it does look rather cheap at occasion, in occasions and it doesn't stop for an hour and a half it's like you know they, Full like, yeah, kids have no attention span so let's just keep on keep going from are start are they likeable you know the way often with, you know, I always feel with the heist you know if, if you like them you want them to get away you know well that's I mean? the Is problem and that's a huge problem with it and it's something I've said in the past you don't really care about them because you don't really get to know them very well okay. also all of the cast none of them are American so therefore they all the easiest um, accent to do I think for non-Americans is the southern uh, accent so all of them kind of talk loud that and it's just awful it really is <laughs> but there's some really really good action sequences you know uh, Rob Cohen is a very good director and um, you know there are people who consider it to be kind of um, uh, a movie that they shouldn't like but they actually deep down kind of do and I thought there are some really really good sequences but the whole thing is really rather silly it doesn't really work I mean there's a scene well at one stage where they're hanging onto wires uh, during the storm uh, if, the, if you've got winds coming at you at six hundred miles an hour there's no 
way you could possibly hang onto the wire. So it's almost like they just went, look, we don't care about the reality. We don't care about physics. We don't care about any of that. You know, um, we're just going to fire as much nonsense as we can at you. And whether or not you like it will be up so to you. So a lot of wind and rain. A lot of wind and rain. rain it's a bit of a washout. Actually, one of the characters' names is Breeze. So I don't know <laughs> if that was an in-joke or not. But it, well, is, it is silly. Some of it's okay. Most of it is, is The awful. Hurricane Heist. Mark it out of 10. Six. Six out of ten. All right. And that's on DVD and are streaming. Thank you for that, Mark. Have a lovely week. We'll chat you again next Friday. Can I give a quick mention to some events that are happening over the weekend? The Beda's Big Breakfast at the Beda Community Hall is tomorrow morning between 10am and 12.30. Adults, eight euro, children of four. And it is to help defray the cost of the upgrade of the Community Hall's heating system. And that's happening tomorrow. And then on Sunday, there are a couple of excellent Christmas craft fairs going on. The Cork City Hospital Children's Club will be hosting, will be receiving the proceeds from the Bwing Christmas Market, which is next Sunday from 12 noon to 5. Unique gifts and handmade crafts at Bwing Community Centre. There was a bake sale on the day and donations would be gratefully received. And there's a coffee morning in aid of the Hope Foundation also happening next Sunday and that's in Killavallon Community Hall, um, hosted by Michael Cagney, Sean Palmer and Sean Murphy a limited selection of luxury handmade Christmas cakes will also be available. That's in Killavallon Community Hall next Sunday between 10 and 1. Nick Richards is next turning up the feel good factor with these tunes. That's Nick from one and Martina from four with Feel Good Friday. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul. Talk to you Monday. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.